idea, and I'll show you why as we get close to the end of the lesson. There are some who believe that Judas was in cahoots with Jesus, and that they were working together. And that idea, that has been popularized by the recent uh, uh, network television specials and promotions of the Gospel of Judas, and suggesting the idea that they were actually working together uh, to bring that about, and that Jesus wanted Judas to betray him. That idea has to be rejected also. By the way, that's not a new idea, because the Gospel of Judas is not a, not a, new, not a new thing, but it's become popular in the last uh, uh, several weeks, last couple of months. That idea has to be rejected. A fanciful idea that I read was this. And that is that Judas, like some of the other Jews, believed that the Messiah was going to be a military conqueror, a military leader. And he thought that Jesus was dragging his feet about ushering in his kingdom. And so he decided that he was going to speed up the timetable and he was going to make Jesus fight. And so when he went to betray him and brought that mob and brought that army into the garden to arrest him, that was Judas' way of saying, here, start now. Here's the army. You need to start fighting now. That's a fanciful idea, a fanciful theory. But again, I have to reject that one as well. I think the best explanation... Not the easiest one to get our minds around, but I think the best explanation of why Judas did what he did is found in Luke chapter 6 and at verse 16. The best, the best explanation of who Judas was. Luke chapter 6 and at verse 16. Now this is when, this is Luke's account of Jesus calling the apostles, calling the twelve. And verse 16, the last two are mentioned. Judas, the son of James, and that's the other Judas that we mentioned just a moment ago. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. A passage right there tells us how Judas came to do what he did. Judas became a traitor. Now, I know that the King James Version says that Judas was a traitor. But the Greek term there that is used is better defined or better translated as one who became. Something happened. Something happened between the time that Judas was chosen as one of the twelve and that kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane that caused Judas to become a traitor. The, the gospel accounts, so far as the accounts of Judas and the life of Judas, is an account of a journey of betrayal. So I want to do that this morning. I want to go through and look at what, what information we do have. And I want to see how it is that Judas became a traitor. How he went down that path. How he journeyed down that path to become a traitor. And in doing this, we're going to learn some things about Judas. We're going to learn some things about the Lord. We're going to learn some things about Satan. And quite possibly, if we're not careful, we'll learn some things about ourselves as well. But let's, let's look and let's see how it is that Judas became a traitor. What is the devil's recipe for betrayal? That's the way I like to look at this. The devil's recipe for betrayal. Number one, it's one part covetousness. Let's start there. Covetousness. Go to Luke. Uh, go to John, rather. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And uh, let's read uh, verses uh, 1 through... Uh, 1 through 6. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. 
Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said... Not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. John tells us that Judas was a thief. The Gospels indicate that Jesus and his apostles were supported in their work. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 is one such passage that shows us this. Judas was entrusted with the stewardship of this common purse, but John says that he stole from it. He was a covetous man, and as we know, covetousness leads one away from the Lord. In the book of 1 Timothy, at chapter 6 and verse 10, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If ever an individual in the Bible fulfilled this passage, it was Judas. He was a covetous man. Now I know that there is a world of difference between being a thief and being a traitor. But this is where it began for Judas. He was a covetous man and God was able to use that covetousness to lead him to a point of betrayal. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, including betrayal. Including betrayal. So we start there with covetousness. Satan has found his man. Next, the next uh, ingredient is wounded pride. Wounded pride. Right here in John chapter 12, we've just read of the Lord's anointing at Bethany. During the week before his crucifixion, Jesus and his disciples had an occasion to eat a meal in the home of Lazarus in Bethany. While at the house... Mary anointed the feet of Jesus with a pound of very expensive oil. Judas denounced this anointing as waste, stating that the oil could have been sold for over 300 denarii given to the poor. You need to understand, 300 denarii, the Bible teaches, was about a year's wages for a common laborer. That wasn't just some measly sum of money. A year's wages is a lot of money. And it looks like Judas is making a noble protest, doesn't it? A year's wages, and you're just going to pour it out on his feet and on his body? It looks like a noble protest, but John tells us uh, that Judas was motivated by covetousness, not by charity. Well, Mark and Matthew both record this incident as well. And look at Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 16. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 16. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant 
saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And I will pause right there. Matthew says that it was the disciples who, uh, who protested this. But John indicates that it was Judas. And that tells us that Judas was the one who led this. Judas was the one who initiated this protest. It sounded noble, so the other ones joined in. But Judas is the one who started it. Verse 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Then, one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Matthew and Mark both indicate that it was at this point that Judas went to the chief priest to betray Jesus into their hands. Something happened at this anointing at Bethany that caused Judas to take this step at this time. What was it? Well, the text indicates that it was a rebuke. Jesus rebuked Judas for troubling Mary. Verse 10, again here in Matthew 26, Why do you trouble the woman? She's done a good work for me. You leave her alone. As a matter of fact, so great is this work, verse 13, that wherever the gospel is preached, this is going to be mentioned of her. You leave her alone. Now that was a sharp rebuke. What made matters worse, though, as is shown again in John chapter 12, go back to John chapter 12, what makes matters worse is that this rebuke wasn't done in private. It was done publicly, and there's a very good chance that there were a lot of people who heard it. In John chapter 12, we read in this account, down through verse 6, verses 7 and 8 contain the rebuke, but notice verse 9. Verse 9 says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. John states that many of the Jews were coming to this house to see Jesus and to see Lazarus. The text does not indicate how many were there at that particular time, but in all likelihood, it was more than just Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Jesus, and the twelve. In all likelihood, this rebuke took place before Several Jews, many Jews who had come there to that house and perhaps were standing outside that house who heard that rebuke. This rebuke, under these circumstances, was apparently more than Judas was willing to bear. And he went at that time to go to the chief priest to betray Jesus into their hands. I notice something else that's interesting is that Judas went to the chief priest. The chief priest did not come to Judas and make him an offer. He went to them. They were probably dumbfounded. They probably couldn't believe, never would have imagined that one of the twelve would have tried to betray him. But lo and behold, here's one of them in their midst saying, What are you going to give me if I betray him into your hands? 
And the proposal that he makes shows the two ingredients of betrayal, covetousness and wounded pride. Again, in Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 15, What are you willing to give me? covetousness if I deliver him to you wounded pride I want something out of this what are you willing to give me and he has hurt me he has wounded my pride so I'm going to hurt him back I'll deliver him up to you so those two ingredients what caused Judas what led Judas to this point of betrayal the price that was agreed upon was 30 pieces of silver Now we need to understand that that was not a good price for Jesus. That in fact was an insulting price. Thirty pieces of silver was the price for what in the Old Testament? Do you remember? A wounded slave. It was the price for a wounded slave in Exodus chapter 21 and at verse 32. Also, 30 pieces of silver, if you remember, is the exact amount that is given in prophecy concerning the betrayal of the Lord. In in Zechariah at chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, God calls upon the prophet to rebuke the people, to chasten the people, and then he asks uh, the prophet or calls upon the prophet to get, uh, uh, to get an accounting of, of his worth and what they think of him. Uh, verses 12 and 13, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. That is, pay me how much you think I'm worth. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then, notice the Lord, verse 13, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. Now that's sarcasm. That statement, that princely price, that's that's sarcasm. That wasn't a princely price. That was the price of a wounded slave. But that's what they thought of the prophet, and that's what they thought of Jesus. Actually, it was an insulting amount. Judas could have gotten a lot more for Jesus if he would have tried, if he would have asked, if he would have bargained. But he, 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 was, he was driven by covetousness, but not just covetousness, also wounded pride. And the agreed upon amount was 30 pieces of silver. Now coming back to the New Testament, we've mentioned Matthew, Mark, and John. How about Luke's account? Luke chapter 22. Luke does not record the anointing, nor does he record the rebuke. But he does record Judas going to the chief priest. Luke chapter 22, Luke brings another detail into this, although he omits some of the accounts. He adds a detail that no one else adds on this, on this occasion. Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 6. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then, verse 3, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Luke didn't say anything about the anointing or about the betrayal, but Luke does say that Satan entered Judas on this occasion. Now there have been some who have gotten a hold of this passage and said, See, uh, he didn't have free will. 
He couldn't exercise free will in this. Satan took him over. Satan manipulated him, and he became a, 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 an un, a yielding tool unto Satan. I want to tell you that this entrance of Satan into Judas was neither forced nor unwelcomed. Satan could have never entered Judas had Judas not allowed him to do so. A combination of covetousness and wounded pride gave Judas an occasion to entertain the will of Satan. Judas was angry at that rebuke, wasn't he? Any of us would have been. Judas was angry. Whenever we become angry, a door is opened to sin. Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 26 and 27. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Whenever we are angry, a door is open. And it's an opportunity for the devil to take advantage of that. And for the devil to appeal to that anger to try to get us to serve him and to do his will. And that's exactly what happened to Judas here. Satan did not overpower him. It was through that anger that Satan entered him and Satan uh, talked him or tempted him into obeying his will. So he goes to the chief priest and he makes those arrangements and then he looks for an opportune time to betray Jesus. Now we come to that night of betrayal. Turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, the, the plan has been put in motion. Satan has tempted Judas and Judas has gone to the chief priest, but he has yet to actually betray the Lord. In the upper room, while leading the Passover with the twelve, Jesus becomes troubled in his spirit, and he announces that one of the one of them would betray him. Let's start reading here in John chapter 13 and verse 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, is it I? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Mark and Luke record this announcement by the Lord. That is, surely one of you will betray me. They, they record, Mark and Luke record the announcement, and they record the disciples' bewildered reaction, but they don't go any further. Matthew, uh, Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26 uh, tells us of an exchange between Jesus and Judas on this matter. Matthew chapter 26, uh, verses 21 through 25. 
Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. What's taking place here in Matthew's account? Jesus is, is reclining at the table here with his, his, his twelve, with his apostles. He tells them that one of them will betray him. They, they're all upset about it. They're all sorrowful about it. And they all begin to ask, Lord, is it I? Is it I? And Jesus responds, verse 23, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And some might think, well, now that was the Lord's sign to all the apostles, that whoever it was that dipped his hand in that dish, that that was the one who was going to betray him. But that's not the case at all, because all of them were dipping their hand in the dish. That was a way of saying, he who shares this meal with me, he who receives my hospitality on this occasion will betray me. Jesus didn't single out anyone there in verse 23. He was letting them know that it was one of them, but he didn't specify who. Verse 24, he indicates the doom of the one who would betray him. And then verse 25, Judas asks, Lord, is it I? And instead of giving the generic answer that it's one of you, Jesus says, you have said it. And that was the Lord's way of saying, yes, you are the one. John's account, going back to John chapter 13, John's account contains more details and helps to shed some light on that exchange there between Jesus and Judas. It was the custom at that time, at such meals for those who were dining to recline at a table. Today, in our homes, when we have someone over for a meal, we have a table that stands up off the ground, and we sit on chairs. And we all sit around a table in an upright position. At this time, during this culture, they reclined at a table. And what that was is that the table was surrounded by couches. And reclining at the table meant that they laid on their side with their head toward the table. And it was the custom that they would lay on their left elbow and they would eat with their right hand and they would lay on their side with, an, with one person next to them and one person behind them and that's the way that they would recline around the table. Well, John is on the Lord's right because we see here that he leans back on Jesus' breast in verse 25. Whenever, whenever, whenever Jesus makes this announcement, one of you will betray me, Peter, sitting somewhere else, motions to John and tells him, ask him who it is. And so John, it indicates that John leaned back on the Lord's breast. We might understand, you know, that would look kind of funny if they're in a setting, uh, you know, setting up in an upright position, like uh, whose painting is it at the Last Supper, where they're all setting up around that table. That's not the way it was. John was not sitting over in Jesus' lap. They were laying down. And so all John had to do was simply lean back. He leaned back against the Lord's breast, and then he asked the question, Lord, who is it? Well, Jesus gave the answer 
and said, and said, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And then he dipped the bread and he gave it to Judas. I believe that this exchange between John and Jesus was unheard by the others. Number one, Jesus, or John is close enough to Jesus to whisper. He leans back into him and turns his head and could whisper, Who is it, Lord? And the Lord could whisper his response back to him without anyone hearing it. Secondly, not only is he close enough to him to whisper, secondly, whenever Judas gets up to leave, no one knows why he's going. No one knows why he is leaving. They think, well, he's going to go give some money to the poor. He's going to go buy some supplies. Had they known why Judas was leaving that room, do you think they would have let him out that door? Those disciples never would have let him leave that room. So this exchange between Jesus and John is unheard by the others. If that's the case, I believe that the exchange between Jesus and Judas in Matthew chapter 26 was unheard by the others as well. Let me explain why. John is to the Lord's right. We've already shown that because he leans back into the Lord. I believe that Judas is on the Lord's left. Let me tell you why. He takes the the sop, he takes the bread, and he, he dips it, and he hands it to Judas. Now, the dipping of the sop, it would have it would have been taking the unleavened bread, which would have been uh, would have been soft and pliable. You take that unleavened bread, and according to the custom of that day, you had the unleavened bread, and you would put bitter herbs in it. And the bitter herbs represented the the years of slavery. Remember what Passover was all about. It was about remembering leaving slavery and getting away from the slavery of Egypt. So that flat bread, that unleavened bread, in the fold you would put uh, bitter herbs and then you would dip it. And the salt that you would dip it in consisted of different materials, but it was of a clay-like consistency. I don't know that firsthand. That's just from things that I've read. But of course the clay-like consistency of that salt would represent the bricks in the mortar that they were busy building. Now that's what historians say. So Jesus takes this bread, he makes the sop, and he dips it. Now if he's leaning on his left elbow and he's made it, who can he hand it to? About the only individuals within his reach are to his immediate right and his immediate left. John is on his right. That leaves only one other person. I believe Judas was on the left. Now if John was able to lean back into Jesus and whisper the conversation recorded in the Gospel of John. I believe that the conversation between Judas and Jesus was unheard by the others as well. Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Everyone at the table says, and Jesus says, whoever dips with me in this dish is the one who will betray me. And then Jesus, or then Judas, kind of under his breath, would have leaned forward and said, Lord, is it I? And Jesus would have said, you've said it. As if, I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. When Judas asked the Lord, is it I? Jesus replied, thou hast said. Jesus was privately telling Judas, I know what you're up to. 
Judas was planning on betraying the Lord, but the deed was not yet done. There was still time for Judas to change his mind, and Jesus gave him every reason to do so. I know of two things that are happening at this supper, which would have been gestures towards Judas that perhaps nobody else there would have been aware of. Number one, uh, custom and tradition of that time tells us that at such dinners, the position to the immediate left of the host was the position of highest honor. Jesus would have been the host. He is the one who is doing the talking and the serving. Who is sitting to his left? It's Judas. Judas is occupying the place of highest honor, and I don't believe that is a mistake. That's not by accident. Secondly, custom also taught that if the host made a sop, that is, he took the bread and prepared it and dipped it personally and handed it to another guest, that that was a gesture of honor as well. Jesus did both of these things for Judas. And I believe in doing so, it was his way of telling Judas, I know what you're up to, but it's not too late. I have not rejected you. You still have a part within this apostleship. You still have a place. That rebuke at Bethany was not rebuking you entirely. You still have a place here. It was a final appeal, I believe, for Judas to abandon his plan of betrayal. Well, that sop is handed to Judas. And eternity hung in the balance for one brief moment. Judas had a choice to make. He could either stop his course of action, repent, and seek the Lord's forgiveness and the Lord's help, or he could follow through with the plan. And what's interesting, according to John's account, is that Satan would not allow this appeal by the Lord to go unanswered. Because it says in verse uh, 27, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Satan wouldn't allow it to go unanswered. Uh, Most likely, all it took was just a brief reminder of that rebuke at Bethany. A brief reminder of that anger that was caused at that moment. And then Judas made his choice. And whenever Jesus saw that Judas made his choice, the Lord knew his decision and he sent him on his way to go and to do what he was to do. What was this exchange between Jesus and Judas all about? What was this exchange between the two of them all about? Some believe that the Lord was exposing Judas as the traitor to the rest of them. I've already shown how I don't believe that that's true. I believe it was all done quietly. And they allowed him to get up and leave. And again, had they known what he was doing, they probably never would have let him leave that room. There are others who believe that Jesus, at this moment in handing this bread uh, to Judas, that Jesus was telling Judas, it's okay. It's okay, and go ahead and do this act of betrayal. That's what some people say. That's what a lot lot of scholars say, that right here, Jesus knows what Judas is planning, he knows what he's going to do, and he's telling him, it's okay, this has to be done, it's okay for you to go ahead and do it. You know, that sounds good, but can you tell me anywhere in the Bible where Jesus ever told anyone it was okay to sin? I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. 
He's going to go and betray the Son of God. He's going to commit a deed that's so terrible, he said just a few moments before, it would have been better if he'd never been born. But it's okay, you go ahead and do it. I can't, I can't follow that. I can't agree with that. He's not telling him that it's okay. I'll tell you what Jesus is doing to Judas here. He's battling for his soul is what he's doing. He's battling for his soul. I know what you're up to. I know what you're planning on. And you need to stop. You still have a place in this apostleship. You still have a place here by my side. If you would just stop this act. He's battling for his soul. He gave Judas that choice. But he left the choice up to Judas. He gave Judas every reason and opportunity to stop this plan. But he left the choice up to Judas. And you know in this account, I can't help but come away from a study of this exchange between Jesus and Judas. And remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians at chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 and at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Here Judas is being tempted to betray the Lord, and the Lord is right there at his side saying, Don't do it. Don't do it, and here's your way of escape. But he left the choice up to Judas. And you know he does the same thing for us today. We are tempted today, but the Lord does not abandon us in the moment of temptation. Just like with Judas, the Lord is right there at our side saying, here's the way of escape. Don't do it. But he leaves the choice up to us. I'll tell you in this account, in John chapter 13, in the exchange between uh, Jesus and Judas, I can't help but see the love of the Lord for the souls of men and what the Lord is willing to go to and to go through in order to help us to overcome temptation. Well, Judas chooses otherwise, and we know the rest of the story. He betrays the Lord into the hands of his enemies. And then later on, in Matthew chapter 27, whenever Judas comes to himself and realizes what he has done, he hangs himself in remorse. Now turn now to Matthew chapter 27. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. When Judas came to himself and realized what had happened to Judas and and realized that he had played a role in it, he was remorseful. He was not penitent. There's a world of difference between the two. He was not penitent, but he was remorseful. He was sorrowful. He returned to the chief priest and he pronounced Jesus an innocent man. Did you get that in verse 4? He goes back to the chief priest and elder saying, "I I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Now this is significant. He says that Jesus is an innocent man. What was the charge against Jesus? Do you remember? Blasphemy, right? That was the charge against Jesus. Blasphemy. He says that he's the Son of God. Judas comes along and says he's innocent. What does that mean? What does Judas believe about Jesus? Judas believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
He believes that he is innocent of the charge of blasphemy, which means he is who he says he is. And that's why I say Judas believed in Jesus. He believed in because he pronounces him innocent. He believes in Jesus. And he tries to return the betrayal money. They won't have anything to do with it. Why? Because it's blood money. And they won't take it into the treasury. You know what's interesting? They don't mind paying blood money. But they're not going to receive it back into the temple. They're not going to receive it back. Uh, How hypocritical can you be? But those were his partners in crime. Uh, Judas was unable to find any comfort from his partners in crime. And so he throws down the money and he goes out and he hangs himself. Now I want you to notice the contrast between the way Jesus handled Judas and the way Satan handled Judas. Whenever Judas had his mind made up, he had put the plan into motion that he was going to betray Jesus. How did Jesus treat him? Jesus gave him that place of honor and Jesus pled with him down to the very last moment to abandon his, his, uh, his plan of betrayal. He battled for his soul right to the last minute. Now, contrast that with Satan. After Judas has done Satan's will, and he begins to feel remorseful about it, what does Satan do? Satan cast him aside. And Judas kills himself. Now there's the difference between what Jesus thinks of us and what Satan thinks of us. And whenever we find ourselves yielding to Satan... Let's remember the character of the one we are yielding to. Absolutely no care for us or our soul whatsoever. As soon as he was finished with Judas, he cast him aside. Judas was remorseful, but Judas did not repent. The sorrow of the world leads to death. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. He was sorrowful, but it was a worldly sorrow, and it led to his death. In this account of the life of Judas, we can see a tragic paradox in this man. I want to read a quote from a book by A.B. Bruce called The Training of the Twelve. It says, To be happy in some fashion, Judas should either have been a better man or a worse Had he been better, he would have been saved from his crime. Had he been worse, he would have escaped torment before the time. As it was, he was bad enough to do the deed of infamy and good enough to be able to bear the burden of guilt. Woe to such a man. And really, that wraps up Judas very well. Was he a terrible man? No. He was bad enough to betray the Lord. But he was good enough that he couldn't live with himself for doing so. What a tragic paradox. But that's who Judas was. In conclusion, Judas should not be betrayed. Uh, Judas, Judas's betrayal should not be dismissed with false doctrines and different philosophical arguments. Uh, certainly not the false doctrine of predestination. Judas had free will, and he exercised that free will. And the idea that he and Jesus were working together is ridiculous and must be cast out. Whenever we consider the example of Judas in the light of free will, and we put the human element back into Judas, instead of having him as some gargoyle hanging on the wall, if we can take him down and we can examine him as a man, and put the human element back into Judas, we learn some incredible lessons. 
some incredible lessons on covetousness, wounded pride, overcoming anger, and betrayal. You know, no disciple will ever have an occasion to betray Jesus like Judas did. However, every one of us is capable of traveling the same path that Judas traveled. And if we don't think so, we need to remember the admonition of 1 Corinthians 10 and at verse 12. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Just like in studying Lot last night, Judas is a negative example, but we need to learn some examples from him. We need to learn how to overcome anger. We need to learn how to overcome disappointment. Some of us need to learn how to overcome covetousness. And we need to realize the love that the Lord has for our souls. And when we're being tempted to sin, the Lord is right there at our side, giving us the way of escape but allowing us the right and the freedom to exercise our own choice in doing so. And when we choose to sin, Jesus is there as our advocate, ready and willing to accept us back, ready and willing to pray, to intercede on our behalf to the Father in heaven that our sins may be forgiven. As my grandmother always says, we serve a merciful Lord. And the account of Judas helps us to see the Lord's love and the Lord's mercy so clearly. I thank you for your kind attention to this study this morning. I'm sure that uh, we've covered a lot of grounds, but I'm sure a lot of ground, but I'm sure there are a lot of questions that we left unanswered, and you'll you'll just have to continue to study on your own. Some questions about Judas we may never get the answers to, but we can learn some good practical lessons from his life. If there's anyone here this morning who is not right with God, maybe you you realize that your life is not right with God. You realize that you have yielded to Satan, that you have yielded to him in, in some way or another. And you've been touched by this message from God's Word, and you realize that you need to repent and come back, and you need to do that. And if you need to take care of that in a public way, we'd be glad to help you with that. I don't know, perhaps there's someone here this morning who's not yet a Christian, not yet a child of God. That'd be a great thing for you to do this morning, and we'd be glad to assist you with that as well. Whatever your need is, now's the time to come forward and do something about it. Would you please come as together we stand and sing this song.